As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Three, two, one. We're live. That would have been a good move. That would have been good. We were just having a, a funny moment right now as we were starting off. Just, uh, you were all shy. Late, I was expecting you to... Am I blushing? Yeah. <laughs> I was expecting you to say something. Tell us. I don't think I can share that. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll wait. Thank you for joining us. Hamdi Hamoudi. Good to be back. I know, man. I love having you back because... Um, There's a lot going on. Yep. And uh, I've always been a big fan of your opinion and the way that you observe and analyze things. I appreciate that. So, um, yeah, I look forward to kind of getting your insight on what you think is the outcome or what's the long play. What's the short play? What's the long play? What are we talking about here? Yeah, I was wondering. I'm mean, always financial. <laughs> I mean, Hamdi is oh. my authority. When I, I bounce, when I want to bounce investment ideas, Hamdi is one of the critical players. I would ask him, Hamdi, commando or not commando? <laughs> Whatever turns you on is usually uh, the answer to that. Right? Yeah. Okay. Good start. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this again. <laughs> he, is, he is the financial authority, though, between oh, our, for sure. our group. Without, without a doubt. Without a doubt. 100%. What I'm saying is that Ani, when Hamdi, whenever we speak and we talk about different things that are happening... His perspective is always one of the perspectives that I take into account when I'm thinking about, you know, is it, what's the right move? What's the next move? So, look, we're living in a time now, the major economies are all printing money, right? Uh, U.S. specifically. And I'm like concerned now, and I think the average person, some people that are knowledgeable a bit, Would, would be concerned with the, quanti the impact of the quantitative easing to the U.S. dollar and, and what's that going to mean for the market in the long term. We know that there's a market that's on a bull run right now, but has the feelings of being overheated. Uh, guys, I'm sorry that I'm doing this so seriously because this is something that I'm at right now. I could tell you I've been spending a lot of my bandwidth, a lot of my energy into trying to understand. I mean, listen, it's been a bull market for a very long time. So when, I mean, jokingly can say if somebody's been a financial authority to ask, it hasn't been very difficult to call the market if you've been one yeah, way, right? Anybody could have been exactly. a financial guru over the last 10, 15 years, as long as you haven't gone against mm -hmm. the wave, right? Yeah. So it's been pretty straightforward. Financial quantitative easing has been the right policy for central banks in the face of adversity, right? So you've had difficult times and you have these 
monetary tools that you have. But do you feel like once we once it was done, yani all you're doing at that point is you're just kicking the can down the road. And you're just saving the outcome or the impact of that decision later You're on. looking at it from a financial market perspective. You have to look at it from an economical perspective. Okay. Is the fact that the Obama administration or the Trump administration continue to heat up this economy a bad thing or are you keeping unemployment low you're keeping people earning you're keep, and it's been an inflation inflationless bull run which is magical in theory right i mean usually the tools you have is liquidity injecting into the market but you're trying to balance it against inflation of course because in theory if you raise minimum wage in canada like we've all gone through or in the us it immediately translates to inflation, so it's a zero-sum game. Yeah. I'm earning a bit more, but I'm paying more for rice and flour. Yeah. So what did I gain? Nothing. If you can do one without the other, that's the ultimate target, right? And interestingly, the components of GDP, without getting too technical, the most interesting one that you can increase successfully and be happy with the outcome is the technology increase, right? Yeah. You can increase labor, you can increase capital, you can increase technology. Yeah. If you increase technology, increase GDP while maintaining low inflation. Efe- efficiency, right? It's Absolutely. A, exactly. So that's you're getting more units per labor hour. Correct. 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 And that's what we've been going through. So I think what's been underappreciated in the midst of all this is what's happening, whether it's in California or whether it's across the world, which is that we've gone through technological advances that have been unheard of Absolutely. in the past few decades. And again, if you go back to the dot-com bubble, which was very disappointing, right? So it felt like something was happening and then it just disappeared. And the internet was very boring for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, if you think back about it, I mean, yeah, we had Google, we had YouTube, nothing really changed in our lives. The way we transacted, the way we purchased, the way we consumed, the way we worked, there was no gig economy, there was nothing. Yeah, yeah. It was just a bunch of websites, you had porn, you had you know, a bit of shopping, but very little. Yeah. You had sports a bit, news, that was it. Chat rooms, blogs. Yes, yeah, which is like all great, but yeah. it didn't change anything. What's been happening over the past 10 years has been a game changer. So obviously Correct. Uber, obviously the... Airbnb, Uber, the way that people have yeah. kind of changed those... So that's been very important, I think. So underappreciating that and singling out a Tesla or an Amazon or a Netflix and saying, oh, look, they're overheated. And we can get into that in a bit, right? But, but I'm going to say something. Like, to be fair to my question, you didn't really answer it. Okay. Right? So, again, I, I think maybe the question is in the wrong way. I'm, I'm not saying that what's been happening hasn't been good. Uh, and the moves that have been made fueled uh, advances, improvements in everyday life. Absolutely. And, and that goes without a doubt. Right. But again, maybe it's more like a, the way that financial markets are set up. And once they took the decision to do that, do you think it's a sustainable uh, model? Like, will we be able to continue endlessly printing money? Right? That's their job, right? So the ECB has been printing money way longer, right? So this has been an ongoing process since since you know there was issues in Portugal and Italy and Spain and mm. since there was issues in Europe they started so the ECB started printing a lot of money and the US got into the game and now the emerging markets have got into it as well it's the central bank's job to do that so you and I can speculate on when the music ends yeah. and unfortunately we will not be able to predict it casual Absol- predictions ab- absolutely no no are, so 
there are people whose jobs is to maintain, again, we don't need to maintain hyper growth. That's not necessary. Yeah. But avoiding a crash is the ultimate outcome of the cyclical mm. capital markets. It's a band-aid solution. It's not, it's, not, I, it's not something sustainable or not. It's just a band-aid solution for the current situation. What it, what intrigues me um, isn't isn't necessarily about it being a bandage solution or any. For me, at its core, at the foundation of the system, once the decision, I, you remove yourself off the gold standard, you create money out of thin air, right? Um, and then you take a decision at some point when things are being challenging to print, print endless amounts of money, to keep it in the system, to keep companies afloat, to keep, once you do that, mm. is it sustained? Like, is there a way that this process and this time frame goes on without a collapse? Historically, there- no. So historically, this the cycle of the market is... No, but I'm talking about but but no, recession. No, I'm right? going beyond that. I think that I think this is where I think I'm I'm with, I'm with you on development and growth. Again, I know my question becomes around maybe it's about the dollar, the US dollar. Do you think the US dollar having the impact that it has today being the central fiat currency that every country holds in the world, do you think that will continue once now these policies have taken place? And really created, opened up the Pandora's box of, Danny, you're creating inflation, right or no? Am I? Am I? Uh, again, this is just. I'm just asking the question. I don't know. Yeah. So I mean, the U.S. dollar is a phenomenon, right? I mean, it's, it's to your point. It is the currency that's used to trade oil across the world, mm. and there have been multiple attempts, like our beloved, infamous, previous leader, infamously tried to. Yeah change oil trade from US dollar to yen or to euro, obviously as a, you know, it was a joke attempt. Yeah. Um, yeah, listen, I mean, I think base cases, yes, it can continue. You're, to bet against it is a larger than three standard deviation event that the US dollar will cease to continue to be the standard of trade globally. It would take a lot and the euro's already shown weaknesses. Like if it was the euro that was going to change that. I and mean, that's, I mean, that's where I, I come. I, I don't think there's any currency right now that can handle it. Like currently. Yeah. So the crypto fiat. obviously is what you're referring to. Not, that's not even my solution. It could be something like. Going back, no, no. Going, going back to the gold standard. Create a fiat currency. Create currency. Let banks offer notes of money to people, but back it up with something. Physically, actually, that has value, intrinsic value. But having that, that flexibility you in, that you can cash is in. what allowed us to smoothen economic events. Again, absolutely. Yeah. But I think the multiples have lost track. Right? Again, yeah, I, I have a, a dollar of uh, gold. I'm going to give you leverage at 12 to 1, 15 to 1, 20 to 1, but not a, you know, a million to 1. So what you're referring to is dollar as a store of value rather, as opposed to dollar as a transactional element between labor and purchase of goods, right? Well, this is it, no? I think when people talk of the price of gold going up, right? I don't think it's necessarily about the the value of that gold has changed. I think gold is just worth gold. I think what has happened is the dollar is losing value. 
Is, is so this, I mean, you're losing buying power. Inflation is kicking in, and this is a very interesting conversation. I think I alluded to it last time. I think, half joking, right? But I think putting your money in gold is a cop out, right? Because essentially, you're, and again, take it with a pinch of salt. Like I'm, I'm no, no, hundred percent. But ultimately, you're removing money out of productivity in the system. The way it is now, now I kind of like it, right? So the whole point is. You have this tool in the central banks, and again, they're not immune to mistakes or corruption or whatever. They're human. But ultimately, what you're getting is this tool, this monetary policy mm. that allows you to ride out economic events, allows you to ease, to increase interest rates, to lower interest rates, to increase minimum wage. You can, you know, slow down a hot housing market like in theoretically, Toronto. Theoretically, what, you what you're saying now is theoretically how they should be operating. And they seem to have been doing it well because we've had a decent run over a couple of decades. Uh, fair. But again, if, yeah. Okay, but uh, comparison <laughs> comparison to buying value or the actual strength of a dollar. Sure. Has lost Inflation 90, has been 99% of its value from its formation or from its establishment. Yeah, but that's assuming, I mean, you if you've been investing it at... The current interest rate, you would have been fine. Correct. You've been no, compounding correct. interest. And correct. Been, also yeah, correct. If you're hiding it under the mattress, yes. And if you're doing that, you're better off doing other things. Absolutely. So store of value, there's better solutions. So that's, that, that's a very good point. And I think that was one of the points also I wanted to ask you is, is for the average person, from your perspective. And by the way, we're, I just want to be clear. We are not a financial advisor. We're not trying to tell people how to invest their money and put their life savings. This is for entertainment. This is just what I think, and this is what he thinks, and this yep. is what they think. So, so anyways, put it all in red. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you were to, if you have a, you know, a pie, how are you spreading? How are you diversifying your portfolio? Yeah, listen. I mean, I think it depends on your ability to comprehend your investments. Ultimately, right? I mean theoretically, the absolute easiest thing anyone should be able to do is the conversation of ETFs, right? Or exchange-traded funds, right? So that's when you're getting a proxy into the economy without being able to stock pick, which is generally considered the right thing for most people to do. Um, and then, again, I know a lot of people look at it in the classic way of saying, you know, do I put one-third in cash, one-third in commodities, one-third in equities or fixed income? There's a lot of approaches to this. Um, I think you just have to be nimble. Ultimately, the economy has been hot. The U.S. has been doing well. Mm. The right thing to have been done doing over the past few years is to be invested in the winning economy, which is the U.S. economy at this Co point. Correct. And within it, there are certain segments and certain categories within it. So you don't want to be along Macy's or you know, department stores and big auto. You want to be along, as we mentioned earlier, kind of whether it's tech, whether it's certain kind of rebound plays like airlines or whether you're kind of trying to time it that way. But ultimately, you should be an interest-bearing instrument, right? So that's fixed income or interest deposits and some exposure to the market because you don't want to underperform the economy at which point your buying power decreases. So cash and equities. And I just keep it on very broad categories bonds ultimately yeah, okay yeah, yeah we can i, I want to make it i want to simplify it and yeah. i don't want to make such specific categories again we're just saying things right so, so in the market or out of the market basically in the market out of the market cash versus not cash i don't know an asset like a home 
يعني these kind of like overall you have a pie it's very general and basic I'm not asking you how to break down your equity play within yeah, the market yeah. I'm just saying X amount to, equ- to equity or stocks or bonds or whatever um, amount of cash amount of something else so know. my strictly my unscientific watches. answer would be 50-60% real estate mm. 30-40% equity and 10-20% cash I like it But that's my profile. Yeah, that's what works for you. That's, that's what it. works that's for you. That's your comfort that's spot. That's what I, I think. That's I think what people. If you ask me, as a guy that has a very simple understanding of financial markets, that's the kind of conversations or that's the kind of advice that I want to hear from people. Yeah. Keep it simple for me. Make me understand. Okay, sixty percent of your money in, in a house, twenty percent in markets. Yeah. Bonds, ETFs, individual stocks, whatever. Mm. And then whatever, 20%, 30% cash. That's the kind of... Man, financial knowledge is so um, under-provided to students and kids these days. Like, there's no representation. And how important is that? I completely agree. For, Danny, have you... Reflecting back, can mm. you think of anything that gave you the tools necessary to be able to manage? As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Your money, your investments while you are in school? No. Other than going out there and looking for it yourself. Which is crazy, right? Yeah. So we start thinking about the education system and the way that it's set up. Okay, very traditional. Memorize this. Geography this. But you don't think those tools could be much more valuable to the individual and their ability to succeed as, and probably make the economy more successful. Because if people are making better decisions... So we're in the very early stages of fintech disruptions to that model, right? So in theory, there should be extremely simple apps that you have trust with, either banked by you know a regulator or the central bank, where you transfer X amount of your income monthly, mm-hmm. and they give you very simple, back to your point, pie charts, where you can literally allocate, and that includes real estate, right? Because you can do real estate investment trust. Oh, yeah, REITs, REITs. Yeah, you can do... Cash, bonds, ETFs, and again, it'll be in a very graphic format. So I think there's Mint, there's one in the US, 
There's a few that come in. What kind of, uh, depending on your profile, obviously they're going to say you're going to have a variety of risk profiles, which will dictate how they'll divvy that up, right? Yeah, the usual questionnaire. How old are you? What's your risk profile? How far are you from retirement? What sort of of returns are they on average? It'd be interesting. Uh, Yeah, again, I mean, returns are a function of your risk appetite at the end of the day, right? But ultimately, even if you're just deploying it in a conscious way, then at least you're not left out of the market. So at this least you're saying. not so sitting on cash. Another question um, that I, I wish would be addressed for the average person that doesn't understand the markets. I mean, what's the expectation? What is a good return overall, day in, day out? Market is hot, market is not hot. Return on your inve- on your investments, on your portfolio, on your the way that you hold your life financially. So a very important concept to answer that is return has to be versus the current interest rate. Correct. That's very important. I cannot say five if the current interest rate in the market is seven. Obviously. So we're currently in a zero interest rate environment. Hmm. So even a three or a 5% excess return over the current interest rate is an excellent outcome. That's it. So today we're in a zero interest rate environment. If you're making 5% a year, you're doing great. If we were like 10 years ago or whatever it is, five, 6% interest rate environment, you'd hope to be making 10, 11, 12. And that's, I think that's what's crazy is observers from the outside in mm. always look to try, and this is, may again, maybe this is my own personal opinion, uh, always look to beat that significantly more. It's not, it doesn't sound interesting, 5%. You know, like the average person, myself included, like I think I could do better than 5% if I just kind of went in on my own. I don't need... It's some, about consistency. Compounding, yeah, right? And so that's it. It's all about consistency. If you compound 2%, 3% from your mid-20s, you're sorted. You don't need to do anything else. I, I, this guy once told me, he's like, if you can get 1% per day for consecutive 365 days a year. 1% is wild, by the way. One percent a day. You're yeah. you're not like Warren Buffett doesn't get one percent a day. That's no, but the, it's uh, average it out. That's the next even, level. Even That's averaging next out wouldn't, it wouldn't <laughs> That's even the work. Next level. I spent a day with Warren Buffett. Because if it's, com- if, it's com- that? if it's compounded, can you imagine? Tell us. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. I mean, I'm not starstruck by many people. This guy's a legend. Of course. I moderated a Q and A with him and. No one would ask questions. They're all being shy. So I ended up asking all the questions. This guy's amazing. So his first job, I don't know if you know the story, right? So when he started as a broker, there was no Bloomberg. There was no Mm. Yahoo Finance. There was nothing. So there were yellow pages type books, two of them. Each two pages are per stock. And you have the financials and the description of each company. So he stayed at the office after work every day going through each company, looking for any companies that are trading well below what their equipment is worth. Forget what's the valuations these days with tech and everything, right? We're talking about a furniture company that has machines worth $100,000 that's currently trading at $80,000. And he's like a year into it or something like that. He found out in the second half of the second book one of these companies, he bought it, and that's how value investing started. So wow. his philosophy historically hasn't been 
anything we talk about or find sexy or oh, hyper growth or fun. No, it's been pure value investing. So as long as you find a company that's trading below its book value, that's kind of the technical term. Yeah, that's what he buys. Intrinsic value. So that's, that's it. The, that's and the then he added to it something which is considered unorthodox, which is franchise value. So pure value investors kind of frown upon it because he actually puts value on the franchise. Yeah. So if you're Coca-Cola, I'm going to assign you a bit more value, but you got to be Coca-Cola or Wrigley's gum or Geico insurance. Yeah. And that's it. And he's hands down the most successful investor in the history of. Yeah. Well, this is it. This is what I'm saying. Is like when you talk about some of the things that are happening now in this environment that are that stand out. And this is what I say, Zania. Right now, I'm a little not concerned. You know what? Concerned maybe is the right word. I am a little concerned when you see someone like Warren Buffett behaving in a way that he never used to behave in, right? So gold, he frowns on it in the same way that you said. And then just puts a very small position, albeit, yeah, and it sounds big to people, but for mm. him, it's very small, a half a billion dollar position in Barrick Gold in a mining company. Why, Yanni? Why would he all of a sudden do that? that? There's nothing wrong with taking cues from what he does or what investors like him do, right? So yeah, that's fair. So his view is that he's worried about what you pointed out. And these are all fair arguments. From a person that has always said, never bet against the economy stresses me out. That's what he said, right? Never bet against the American economy. Gold is just for people to sit. You can, it's like a provides no value. It's not productive. You just sit there and you kind of like look at it and pet it. And that, that's how he said it. That's what. When did he say this? Oh, he's been saying this for years. This is what I'm saying. This is the first time he has ever taken a position or has been associated with taking a position. So, so God knows how much gold he holds personally. Right? So that we could just park that on the side. Right? He may be doing it and just you wouldn't know. Right? Yeah, listen, I mean, that's it's very interesting. Uh, I mean, that's his view. Uh, there's nothing wrong with taking a cue from that. He's done this in many industries and people have followed railroads. He's done it in airlines, airlines, insurance. So yeah. it's it's a very interesting cue to take. I, I mean, I personally don't take it, but I could be wrong, right? I'll so take, you, yeah. again, until you're as a, until you never did economics. Economics, is that your thing or finance? Both. Both. Yeah. So economically, this, the current system and the current, I came back, I kind of dragged back to the QE thing. This is sustainable? Is there, ideally, is there a, a way that you can look at this and it continues for the next 20 years? No, I mean, ideally you ease off of it, right? So if they do it correctly, again, historically, it's never been that smooth. So you always get, you know, a few years of a bull market and then you get a depression or a recession. A hyperinflation situation. Yeah, I mean, it's either GDP growth or contraction. Mm. Two consecutive quarters of GDP contraction is a recession. Correct. So usually it's very difficult. Central banks haven't been able to get this perfect outcome where they maintain economic growth over extended periods. Now, we've been steroiding it with quantitative easing, whether it's in the US or the ECB or elsewhere. And the ideal outcome is you ease off of it as the momentum runs on its own. Mm -hmm. Will they pull it off? I do not know the answer. I hope they can. And again, my view is they seem to be 
managing right it moves, well, yeah. but this can change, policy can change, government can change, you have elections coming up, you can have a contradiction between the House and the Senate, you can have Correct. issues in the Eurozone, you can have lower growth in Asia, and China is the big one. So there's a lot of things that can go wrong that can be external to the central bank's to ability to print money. This has got to be the most polarizing election year in our history. Really interesting. Right? It has to be. Because lifetime or has like look by I think again we talk about existential living and life and view on life. A lot is right. It's always up. gonna be the biggest event because that's the event that in present I'm being a philosopher right now. In present, this is what we're experiencing. So it is by default gonna be the biggest event that you've ever experienced because it's new. Recency bias. Yeah, exactly. You're you're there, you're living, you're experiencing it. So it is the biggest, but I agree. It is a very eventful. Like 180 degrees if it goes left or if it goes right, literally. Policy, foreign policy, fine, world finance and economics. And, it's not, it's not, and I don't think it's just contained to the US. Yeah, when Obama was elected, great. A black person can be a president, which is amazing. That was polarizing at the time. Mm. But it didn't have reciprocal effects to the rest of the world. The outcome. So that's, again, question at its core. Do you think things change? So I'm a bit of a contrarian when it comes to all of this, right? So obviously, kind of strictly from an economic perspective, there was a lot of continuity from the Obama administration to Trump's, right? And there's a lot of minute details about taxes to corporates, to the rich, to the poor, healthcare. So there's a lot of kind of small levers that you can pull. In terms of foreign policy, there's the obvious one, right? The elephant in the room, which is mm -hmm. the approach to Iran, yep. which affects us in the region. So these are all fair game, right? Um, do I think it's an obvious decision to make for anyone? I don't think it is, right? Because you unfortunately have the incumbent, which is yeah. ideally no one should want to stay in the office given <laughs> statements made and given etc. for obvious reasons. Or do you kind of want Biden, Kamala Harris? I mean, uh, Look, how I mean, do you get on that ticket? I mean, how do you yeah. get excited about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what excites you, but, no, but that's for me, it's, it's not Biden, Kamala Harris. Uh, this is where I would question if the outcome of what happens economically or even politically, and it's, it's, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person that's a, I'm very basic in my views. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I mean, what, right now, the question that's being asked or what I'm really concerned with is economically, how would the average person or should the average person, from your humble opinion, be maneuvering? In the U.S., you're dealing with specific issues, right? I mean, here it's kind of all macro and global politics for yeah, us. Yeah, we have the luxury of yeah. being, exactly, we have the luxury of being a little bit away from it, in right? In the US, from my personal experience, kind of spending time there, it's very binary, right? You're either a beneficiary of the left's or the right's policies, right? right. Either you're on the right side of the healthcare yeah. or you're not, you're on the right. So it's not about morals or black and white or, mm. you know, left and right. It's, this guy says, I'm going to increase or decrease this tax and I'm going to change this healthcare policy and that affects me in this way. That's how I'm going to vote, even if the guy's not likable, right? So yeah. that's, I've seen people that you wouldn't think would be Trump supporters, i.e. rich people, educated people, they will vote for Trump because he will increase their 
earning net earning by two three percent yeah, by decreasing taxes yeah. income uh, corporate tax by whatever percentage and or you could be you know of a certain race or a certain economic yeah. correct but it's a crazy time we're living in you're willing to choose a president because it makes your company more profitable or your business more profitable has it ever been different exactly. and what, what else would people vote on i don't think it was that open back then if you go back 20 years 30 years ago I think the outcomes would play out in the same way because that's how things well, are. Well, we are here today because of those well, past times, it. Exactly. right? It was, it was, but exactly. yeah, I mean, it's difficult for me to, to pick, to pick somebody like Trump where I don't believe in that person. I don't believe, like, I'm not saying just Trump, a figure like Trump. Thank God as a Canadian, you don't <clears throat> need to pick. That's the that's the, that's for the now. lovely part. Right? For now, <laughs> for now, right? I like I, I like me some Trudeau. Aren't, are you a fan of Trudeau? He's worked as best as he can in the situation, the hand that he's been given. Great photo ops. <laughs> yeah, he's so handsome. <laughs> By the way, he's extremely handsome. He is. So, you heard about his moistly uh, speech, right? The moistly. sound bite when he was trying to say mostly, and he said moistly by mistake. <laughs> And the internet went crazy about it. <laughs> One of the license plates that you're not allowed to personalize in Canada now is Moistly. Yeah, I swear to God, I saw it the other day. <laughs> People trying to get li like personalized license plates where it says Moistly on it. So how long and are they going to keep the borders shut to the Americans? That's pretty controversial. From the time I was there, when I was there recently, it seemed like it's not going to open until there's a solution. What's the view? You just don't want the constant exchange of... Visitors or it's I mean, obvious. It's I mean, I mean, the, the general public, for the most part, in the states is not as cautious as the Canadians are. And I, I don't know how it is in the states, but from what you see and the numbers are coming out. Yeah, I think there's an impression that it's out of control in the U.S. and the Canadians just feel like, okay, you know what, just to be prudent. <laughs> to well, they just extended the 14-day uh, mandatory quarantine in Canada. Yeah. It was supposed to end in July, pushed till end of August, and now pushed till end of September. So we're being very conservative with it, basically. Yeah. I mean, historically, it's been a pretty closed. Not really. For visitors and not Americans, but in general, like they've what? been. In terms of Canada? Yeah. Really? I mean, as an Arab, as to visit there, if you're not, it's not a normal kind of tourist destination for non-Americans, non-Europeans. No, Niagara Falls, I think. Americans <laughs> going to Canada? To no, Americans, obviously. No, no. Yeah. Expats in general, like just foreigners. Yeah. We, all, we all went to... Niagara visit. Falls. Niagara Falls. Visit, yeah. Before local before tourism. we immigrated to okay. Canada, okay. we visited Niagara Falls. It's one of the wonders of the world. Guys, if you haven't been to Niagara Falls, you are missing out. It's one of the most lovely yeah. places, especially on the Canadian side, by the way. It's not only Niagara Falls. Nice. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And you have... It's, no, Canada is something general, to be seen and experienced. Right? How many times have you been to Niagara Falls and not seen the falls? Straight to the casino. <laughs> That's just a different. That's just a different topic. Ex- uh, uh, let's say a handful of times, <laughs> a handful of times. But yeah, it can happen. Copacabana. But when you live forty-five minutes away from the falls, that kind of things happen. How many times have you been up Burj Khalifa? Once. Or or the CN Tower for that Once. matter. And how long have you been living in Dubai? Twelve years. Exactly. And there you go. It's the same kind of outcome. How many times have you been up the CN Tower? Uh, climbed it or because <laughs> I've, cl- I've, cl- I've done the climb. I've, I've climbed it climb twice. Well. Yeah. The steps. The steps. The yeah. Steps. As opposed to climbing the trail. That's the only two times I've taken. <laughs> 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 we did it together one yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. With who was it? Reem uh, Shabander. Shout out to Reem. No. She was the one who organ. She was the one who told me about it. About the what's the name of the gas company? It's not. Enbridge. It's, it's w- worldwide uh, foundation. I think or some some. At the time, NGO or some correct, but at the time, the main sponsor Enbridge. was Enbridge. Enbridge. That's correct. That's I guess, correct. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And she was the first person that told me about it. So shout out, hmm. Reem. I think they're in Calgary. Yeah. Working for a gas have company. You, have you been, <laughs> exactly. Have you been? Have you been in Calgary? Have you ever? I've never been outside of Montreal and Toronto. Me too. Have it's you done huge. Vancouver? No. That's sad. Yeah, I haven't done Vancouver. I've done. We lived in Canada for how many years? Probably combined like thirty-five years, yeah. and none of us went to Vancouver because it's a hike, man, from Toronto. Never went to Halifax. Was it a six-hour flight? To, Eight-hour flight? Exactly. It's, it's the equivalent from Dubai to London, to put it in people's yeah. perspective. Yeah. It's huge. It's a it's a massive, <laughs> a massive amount of land. And again, I mean, in context of being able to visit the east coast of the United States mm. with a, a much shorter distance. I mean, Cuba is three hours away. Exactly. Or Mexico. Or, and that just kind of distorts yeah. or puts in perspective the image of the, the the map. That tripped me out. I was seeing the kids. So obviously now I have kids and they're going through the experience of the map. And then me being how I am and how I look at things, I was like, you know what? I want them to see a proportional map. It looks very different mm. from what we're used to. So what we grew up on yeah. is not an accurate representation proportionally of the landmass to water of, of the earth. So it's really confusing. So when you see it, Africa is much larger, much larger in perspective. You've seen, you've seen the, the picture? Yeah. You can fit yeah. the US, China, I think like... We're going to make late, edit, do some editing action 60% right of the world can fit in Africa. Let's look at conspiracy. Let's look in the corner. Let's all look in the corner of the main camera and see where you're going to put it. Where are you going to put it? This way. Go left. Oh, you're going to put it there. It's going to sit right here. Right here. I got it. I'm pointing to it right now. No, point straight. 
There you go. So that's, we're going to show it. It looks really weird because everything that we experienced up until that point was not a, a fair representation. It's of a colonial actual. map versus. Well, look, it's natural, right? Like uh, it's a very natural thing on how history is written and how people kind of look back at perspective. It's just the most eloquent writer. And this is where we're talking about things that stress me out today. Is it doesn't matter. It's not about the person that is communicating and his ability to be an expert in his space or whatever, or to bring really valuable knowledge. It becomes more about how eloquent you are, how presentable you are. You have really nice hair. You have 3 million followers. All of a sudden you're an authority. You know what I mean? I mean, I'll circle that back to the markets. And I, again, slightly disagree in that I've witnessed market efficiency and particularly in the US, right? So there's this misconception that retail investors and Robinhood investors are distorting the market and I don't subscribe to any of it. I mean, when you have as many intelligent, greedy market participants whose unintended outcome is market efficiency, I trust it to a certain extent. And I am different to a lot of people in that sense, right? And again, I think that the history is written by the victor, sure, but in markets, there is this balance where you have enough shorters and longs and et cetera, that it tends to work out with the information we haven't had. That's exactly what I was looking for from, from our discussion. It's that, that's a, for me is a, a theory that can be examined and looked at, right? It's a fair, it's a fair point. Enough people have enough information, especially in this day, day and age, to be making the right decisions and moving us forward in the, in the correct way. Naturally, default, the system will just carry itself. So um, I believe it. I believe that. And again, you have a combination of quants, right, where you're purely operating on Twitter sentiment, on financials, on many things. And then you have people that are actually crunching the numbers. And again, you don't have to take one side. It would be inefficient if you couldn't short a stock, right? So as long as you can short, and obviously in developed markets you can, then with what we know today, this is the right price, which is why I always argue against inflated valuations. I know they seem that way and you can argue it. Um, And again, that brings us to a very important point in valuations. And again, circling back into tech, the tools we have at the moment to value companies scientifically are broken. And we have not come up with new ways to value the growth we're seeing Mm -hmm. in disruptive sectors. Exponential, it becomes so ludicrous. We can't comprehend it, right? We're just used to valuing factories. You're just used to valuing cash flows. These are my cash flows. I run a manufacturing company. These are my physical assets. Physical assets or steady cash flows, yeah. and I'm, you know, I'm great. I'm going to grow them ten percent a year. But this is it. I, you're absolutely right because now the ability to grow with the technology that's available is just so. What would you add to that? Limitless. What's, right? what's missing limitless. from that equation? It's very difficult because they're conceptual stocks at the end of the day, right? So if you go back to Netflix and you look at a company that was mailing you DVDs to try to disrupt Blockbuster and ends up, you know, being my only disrupting Blockbuster. Disrupt, well, no, well, not disrupting everything, disrupting Rogers, disrupting yeah. Warner Brothers, right? So 
it's it's an it's all serendipitous at the end of the day. So if you look at Amazon, you thought you were disrupting Tom Hanks and his you know Meg Ryan's bookstore. You didn't realize that you were disrupting everything, right? Yeah. So it's today, and the problem is they're public listed. I mean, if these were private companies, you'd go through these up and downs and no one would know. The problem is they're listing early because it's a good way to access capital, but you don't know what this company is going to look like in 10 years. Oh. You don't know what Square is going to look like in 10 years. You don't know which business parallel is going to be the one that's worth 80% of the valuation. So the ability today to say this company is worth X and it goes up by 30%, you say, oh, it's expensive. I'm going to sell it here. It's very difficult. Your best bet is doing what everyone's trying to do, which is saying, this looks like a really good company. looks like they're going to be around in 10 years and they're going to take a lot of market share in the industry. I genuinely don't know what it's going to be worth, but I want to be along for the ride. So I'm going to own some of it. But, but I think the equation... Which is not very scientific. It's not very scientific. It's very logical. By the way, that's exactly how I invest, to be honest. Future if, value. No, if it's it, exactly. Is, is logically, when I look at this company and what it's producing, do I think that I would be interested in, in purchasing it and do I think the masses can see value in it? Uh, this is how I look at it at a very basic level, right? But there are trends along the way. And I think it's healthy for people to book profits. Right? I think that's a big... That is the hardest part of investment. Is I can put a dollar in Tesla today. It's worth $2,000. Now... I don't know if I'm going to be able to earn money for the next year, two years. I've made $1,000. It's a good amount of money. Should I take that money and re-enter in a future phase as I use that money to give me a comfort or maybe give me a, a backup in case things don't work out, especially in the environment we're working in, we're living in, right? So, again, that's where my division of investment becomes such a key issue it's a very difficult question it's a very difficult question mm -hmm. i mean you might need it you might do it for tax reasons that's another thing you don't take into consideration right so a lot of u.s investors have tax implications gains, yeah, absolutely gains tax exactly so dividend tax capital gains tax yeah, but, but in the u.s it's structured in a way where it's giving an advantage not to pull your money out of the market yeah. right so, so that's another to keep, dilemma to keep it going although you might be better off saying I'll take some it's a chips good time off to the book. table. Exactly. Yeah. It's, a time, it's, time, it's a good time to book a little bit of this uh, benefit that I've gained. Because the, the worst thing that can happen, and it's happened, I'm sure, to many people, myself included, where you put your money into something, it goes up, and then it goes down. And then you end up with less than what you started with. So you bought something for 100 it went up to 10000 Yeah. And you thought, this is going to transform, transform the world and it ends up being nothing. That's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult. That's, I mean, that's why people equate it to gambling at the end of the day, right? I mean, it is technically a company you have nothing to do with. It's an industry you're not a part of. You're taking a view based on a casual opinion. Correct. And you're letting it ride or you're taking it off. And if you had stayed in, you could have made a lot more. If you did stay in, it didn't work out. So that's the resemblance to Tesla. gambling. Tesla. Now, now, this is a perfect segue <laughs> into the Tesla car. Leith, are you convinced in a Tesla? Would you buy a Tesla? Definitely. Yeah. As a car? Definitely. Yeah, as a car. So, for so sure. where does it, like, so if you have a budget available right now, 100K, 
That's a good enough budget. Would it te- would the Tesla be the outcome of the hundred K budget? It's up there. hundred K what? It depends. It depends. Dollars. On. Talking dollars would be international. Depends. Do I have, um, am I a single guy living by myself or am I a married man Irrespective. with kids? I think, I think Tesla has enough options at this point that it covers all of the, the necessary needs. Yeah, Tesla would be there for sure. Top three. I respectfully would say that anyone that would consider any car except a Tesla today would be making wrong decisions. <laughs> this is the, the bias element. Again, um, as I said, we're not, uh, we're just giving what's personal that, What's that new company that's... Uh, Lucid Review. Lucid. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the Lucid? only legitimate competitors. That's, that's what I was going to say. Are you a fan of Lucid? You think it has potential? Lucid, I'm on the fence on. So the one I'm pretty convinced on is Rivian. Yeah. They're making pretty cool Am- products. Amazon money. Amazon money, absolutely. There's Ion, which is the Chinese... Yeah, the Chinese ones, I'm very skeptical. So there's one called Neo, which Neo, I'm yeah, not sold Neo. on. They're publicly traded. And the one that you mentioned the last time we were on is, is a big the one. Copycat? Yeah, yeah. The copycat. It's a big one. Lucid looks okay. They have a big event coming up in a few days where they're going to announce some products. Do it th- seems interesting. Do you think they'd share technologies? So Lucid would get Tesla batteries? They steal. Not they steal. They try to steal yeah. from Tesla. And there's multiple ongoing which is- cases gonna happen corporate espionage yeah i mean ford built the first combustion engine actually no, the first did, ford was electric a, they did assembly uh, assembly was their thing so i mean the problem till today the frustrating problem is the inability of the large auto manufacturers to disrupt themselves of course. which is again by design and will always go against them they're not destined to survive this so i just it's i find it hard to believe your Ford, your GM, your Chevy, your Toyota, you pick a team and you say, listen, you sit in that warehouse, here's a blank check. They've all done that. Lo- logically, the, the problem becomes what? I think that... They have, they're ahead. No, it's, it, exactly. They're it's ahead. Tesla's ahead. Not just Tesla's ahead. Your cash cow that feeds that research is not that, right? So... The that's way that they feel. That's probably the best way the, to put it. That's it. The way the that cash cow is the opposite of that. So you're disrupting the cash cow. So you're going to be frowned upon by the powers to be internally. The management, the middle management, maybe someone somewhere will say the right things at Volkswagen, at Ford, at GM. But Namir said it perfectly. The cash cow is the opposite of what you're trying to develop. Yeah. Imagine it's like me saying you work in combustion uh, combustion engine development mm. at Ford. Mm. They set me up as the guy that's pushing electrical. We are literally at odds. And not only that, I'm at odds right, with much less financial pull than you. My revenue annually is going to be $100 million. The rest of the company is doing 32 billion. I know, but in 10 years, that 32 billion is going to be the 100 million. If you but, are the strategic CEO that's making these decisions, not, but there's a thousand layers in between. Exactly. And you're not looking at it personally. I'm talking about Lath, the head of combustion engine development. So now I'm talking about you. How would you react? I am coming in to make you obsolete. Yeah. So it's, it's going to, they're going to be dinosaurs. So the irony of the recent events with the pandemic and the, in theory, economic slowdown 
is that it set the large auto back 10 years in terms of catching up with Tesla because in difficult times, R&D gets cut and the first thing they're going to cut it is from this team that's working on exactly. a lot of Tesla's. a lot of the, the major companies did walk away from a lot of the programs that they were into they've right? walked away they've downsized them i mean we've seen a lot of announcements we haven't seen a lot of fo- follow through Correct. what do you think of the recent visit by elon musk to volkswagen hq and yeah. meeting the ceo there's a lot of theories around that look at the end it would make sense i think it's going to end up becoming a survival game he has the gigafactory he's building in berlin in berlin yeah. which is yeah. awesome well, this is why I think it was a courtesy visit. I don't think people need to read too much into it. But at the end, it's going to make sense to have electric vehicles operating purely out of the lack of damage to the earth that we need to survive off of. I think it's going to be. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Become that simple of an equation. I'm so, a- so I argue that from a capitalistic perspective and say that's missing the point. It is a great unintended outcome. They're just better, cheaper, more efficient machines. That what you're talking about now, I, I, that is exactly... It's the same thing. What I'm saying is ultimately what ends up being the best for the earth will always find a way to become the best and most efficient way to develop. And that's how I look at it in this thing. Like this is so clear. You have an option that creates a lot of damage when you're trying to get the fuels to to push it. And you have something that is helping that situation, is disrupting it, is actively working against that. It gives it a huge advantage. It's not something to be underestimated in terms of value. That's a value, significant value. The funny thing is, a few years ago, that visit could have been construed as Volkswagen buying Tesla. Exactly. And now it's being viewed as Tesla buying Volkswagen, which is crazy. That's funny. By current value, by current revenue capability, right? Uh, Right now, Volkswagen could buy 10 Teslas. So Tesla raised $5 billion last week yeah. at a 1% dilution to the company. Did they 
capitalize it? Like, did they take it off the books? Because I heard that they had opened it up where they are entitled to sell stock. They did it. They did a $5 billion raise. At any any price. No, I heard that they left it open to give them the option that they can sell it whenever they need it. It was a one-day event. So they sold $5 billion worth of stock at the price on the day at a 1% dilution to the company. These capital raises happen in one day. Okay. Because in my understanding, and maybe I, this is it, I misinterpreted it. Which is access to capital markets. Again, the whole point, Correct. we missed the point, right? We keep talking jokingly about gambling and mm. you buy, I buy, what it means. But ultimately, the point is access to capital. Yeah. So a company like Tesla with three, four factories was able to, in one day, raise enough money to build a fourth or fifth factory out exactly. of 1% dilution from the market in one day. So that's the whole point. Yeah. of these markets that we forget sometimes. Yeah. Why do this anyway, right? So the whole point is growing companies get access to capital yeah. that they wouldn't otherwise yeah. or at different terms to grow. Yeah. No, this is it. This is, I think, again, man, it's, it's so hard for people that aren't in it. And myself, again, I keep saying myself included because by default when I'm speaking, it's the only perspective I can take. It's hard to register a valuation of four hundred billion on a Tesla. And by the way, I'm a you know, I'm in. I'm sold. I've been selling the idea of Tesla for a long time now. Uh, it's hard for people to understand that it's it's four hundred billion. It's worth more than all the major car manufacturers today are worth combined. Mm-hmm. It's easy for me to understand how it's worth more than all of the manufacturers combined, it's hard for me also to understand that it's worth 400 billion. So that's what I said earlier, right? It's very hard to conceptualize the valuation of these companies these days. The models we have don't work. Yeah. What is easy is to understand that it's worth as much of all them combined because none of them should exist in 10 years. So that's the easy part. But is it worth a quarter of Apple? I don't know the answer to that. No. Apple's at two trillion. Insane. Yeah. For a company that hasn't been innovating in theory, right? I mean, the criticism of Tim Cook is that he inherited a bunch of products. He's been improving them. He's been extremely good at it. There hasn't been any major product disruptions from Apple, yet it's worth two trillion dollars. I would this is where I think I, I would challenge you because I think it's similar it's a similar story to Google, right? It's or Microsoft. It's the ability to make your day in, day out revenue stream into a subscription model. I agree. And I think his ability to transform how they were earning their money was innovative in itself. And I think that's why a lot of people love Tim Cook, right? Because of that, he was able to take, okay, I have this amazing product. You're right. It hasn't innovated a lot, but he's been able to transform it or reshape the way you interact with it, where he's getting more money from you. In more cash. Physical, That's what Microsoft did. Usable so that, yeah. cash, exactly. Yeah. Right. So Microsoft went from selling you to taking a subscription. Subscription. On so every place. year you pay two hundred dollars to get your Microsoft, which meanwhile before you used to buy it for a hundred dollars or one hundred and fifty dollars, and that would stay your Microsoft for three years. Yeah. Agree. Yeah, it's it's un, I think that's where the innovation or software the, as a service. Exactly, but I think that's where Tim Cook is valued. Why they like him. I agree with you that the thing that they like about right now may come back to haunt him later because that development and innovation is what's going to keep companies 
ahead of the curve and prevent Teslas from showing up. But it's just the nature of people, right? They're just going to want to cash on their, their my my experience. So you're absolutely right. My experience is that we're still running from the momentum of the innovative period we had under Steve Jobs. So Apple plateaued, obviously. They brought him back. He went on this ridiculous spree of ridiculous, right? From the iPod to iTunes to the App Store to the Mac to everything. Everything. And he's just been, Tim Cook has been perfectly managing it and perfectly milking it. Yeah, squeezed every bit of it. But now it's time to... But then, yeah, then eventually you have to do something. So Microsoft had that phase where they had this innovation in the 80s and 90s. They plateaued with it for a while. So then the new CEO was able to, again, revive it. So I worry about Apple. And you would in turn also worry about Microsoft. No, Microsoft case. is the opposite. Because so they went into the cloud business and yes. they completely, they, that's the majority. Salesforce, of mm. Microsoft. Did they buy, yeah. so Microsoft owns Salesforce? No, Salesforce is its own. They bought LinkedIn. No, Salesforce LinkedIn, is okay. CRM, yes. Yeah. Okay. But Apple at this, I love it. I love Apple. I'm a fanboy. I worry about the stock. So are you, you have investments in Apple? No. Okay. I worry about it, which again, it's done great. And it's, the, so the theory for Apple, given recent events, the past six months is that the more we work from mobile, from home, from the road, et cetera, the more you need general technology. And that's where Apple kind of is involved in every step of that. So they're mm. beneficiaries of the recent events mm. where anything that you use in your daily life. So you're more likely to upgrade your phone because you're spending more time working on your phone and your tablet, on your laptop, computer at home. So they benefited from that. But again, we are in the age of disruption and they've not done anything. And the new trends that we're seeing, whether it's... You don't think they're playing Apple? I'm I'm a big fan of their playing Apple TV. What what my interpretation... That's been a massive fail for them. But but you know what? I think it's the long play. My interpretation of that play is... They're wanting to be the physical console that every household has, and it accepts interaction with all. Like, have you seen how they do the platform, the iTunes, the ITV kind of setup? I think done? Apple is losing that battle. I mean, that's one fair where, point. I, I look, mean, any Samsung TV eliminate. I mean, I'm single out Samsung, but any LG, any decent TV should be able to have smart apps. within it has covers your needs. They haven't been able to do the content game. They haven't been able to do the hardware game. They haven't on TV I, I, specifically. I think, I think they're they're focused on. I think if you, if I were to predict or project what I think they'd be doing right now is they're trying to make that experience while you're going through Apple TV and finding the shows that you're going to watch, irrespective of their own content, right? To make it as pleasant and as accessible and as easy and as interactive, one-stop shop. Same way you get apps from the Apple store and you're taking, I think they want to set up on the TV game in the same way. I have one answer for you. Steve Jobs is rolling in his grave. (laughs) This is not how he would have wanted it to play out. None of this would have been. How do you think he had it? He He would have either not done it or done it properly. I agree. The way Apple TV has been able to linger as a mediocre, I love it, I use it. But it's a niche, it's not a big contributor. They're not top three in their industry. It's not the Apple way of doing things. Well, the Apple way of doing things is innovation. 
Uh, and that's top that's, three. It's top yeah. number one, top two. It's not going to be one of your 10 options. You kind of like it. It's a niche product. Yeah. It's, he's not happy. And that's the problem with having your company based on a guy. Big time. That's yeah. my concern. If you ask me, what's your number one concern with Tesla? It's Elon. It's the contribution of Elon. Yeah. Right? Like uh, that stresses me out. I think, I think he's put enough momentum that I think if he leaves for the next 10 years, it'll be great, but it'll, you'll fall into the Apple trap where some CEOs are going to be able to innovate and think. They'll and manage it properly. I see your argument that the innovation has been done. Now it's execution. Um, but that's one element of it. So if we're talking about software and ride sharing, that's not been done yet. So if you're talking about 10 years from now, cars are electric and Tesla is going to have a 10 to 20% market share. In theory, he doesn't need to be there for that. So if that's the company, it's probably worth a lot less than it is today, but it's still very interesting and extremely relevant. But the plans are very different. It's to take over energy, it's to take over mobility, autonomy. This is where where my concern comes about. So I agree with you. If if that's what you envisage, then you kind of need him and that's your risk, key man risk. If the point is executing on the electric revolution, then that's in motion. Yeah. So it depends yeah. what you see happening over the next that's years. where that's where people struggle to value Tesla. Is people are still doing the calculation of how many electric vehicles can they produce and how much revenue will they will they get out of producing those vehicles. If you do that evaluation a million times it's not going to reach 400 billion in terms of the market yeah. cap of the company. But and but it's is, bigger than that. I think that's but that's Well, this is it. this is exactly what, this is exactly what we're saying, right? It's much bigger than that. <clears throat> the power game, the battery game, the just every vertical that they're entering into, they're creating and leading or trying to lead one way or another and they're massive plays. So, I don't know. I see the future where it's we talked about it, which is car as a service. I think that's well, that's just huge. I mean, you're massive. repurposing parking lots. You're talking about prime real estate. I mean, I joke about this, but I would be short parking lots, mm. real estate plays in New York and LA. Right? No, but they can yeah. adapt. But, but, by the way, but by the way, they can adapt. They can be charging stations. Charging. So that's, I mean, if you want to get into that, so charging should be destination charging rather than dedicated charging. Exactly. So if you have it in your apartment building, if you have it in your home, if you have it in your mall and your work, then the idea of the gas station being repurposed as a charging station or a parking lot. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, a parking lot can become a condo tower, right? So I'm half joking about it. But ultimately, car as a service is a game changer. And it's so obvious because, again, what utilization do you have on your car on a daily basis? I'm on 2% probably. At best. Right? So it's ridiculous. And it's the most depreciating asset you own in your lifetime. Correct. I mean, we stress about you know, $1,000 purchases, but we're depreciating multiple times. Of Our that. second largest for most, the average person, the second largest purchase that they make, right? So you make a home purchase and then a car. But one is an appreciating asset. Well, and one is a, it's not I'm, an asset. I'm, a car I'm just, is not an asset. The house is an appreciation, hopefully an appreciating yeah, asset, correct. whereas the car is the point a liability. That, the point, that's yeah, the worst purchase you make in your life. Well, this is it. And that's the point I think I'm making where I, I deduce from it the Tesla business model, right? Is... And again, even the Uber model, like the combination, the hybrid of that model makes sense for me. Because exactly what you said, people right now are committing most likely the second largest investment that they make in their, in their 
life in general. So it's the car and the home. And it's the, as you said, the literally the worst investment. It depreciates the second you sign the document. You signed it. You don't drive it off the lot. You list it to sell it. You're, you're getting less money. It's literally like that. So, um, yeah, I agree with you, man. Unless it's the Shelby GT500 Venom. <laughs> Very, that's like winning the lottery. You know what that's like? Collecting cars is like collecting uh, figurines. Yeah. You know, it's like you keep them in the box and you hope, like, please, I hope 30 years from now, <sighs> Hamdi, when he's worth $3 billion, is willing to drop $2, $2 million to buy this, <laughs> this, this Shelby. What's up? By the way, do you think a Tesla would, would survive an EMP or a solar flare? Has that been tested? That'd be interesting. All the cars of the world stop at one moment. Right. Imagine that happen. Like a zombie apocalypse or something. I think I'd want a petrol. Theoretically, wouldn't that, is that possible? You're, you have a science mind. You're a smart guy. What's the question? Imagine there was like a solar flare from the sun. That kind of like satellites get messed up, everything gets yeah, an electrical pulse gets shot out for some random event from the sun that would create an electric EMP. surcharge. Yeah. yeah. Would you shut down the world? Would just go dark. So then you would want a gasoline vehicle to get to a safe place. I want, I want two things in that scenario. Golden guns. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's nothing. It's not Tesla. C- cigarettes, <laughs> guns. <laughs> I'm good to go. Go all jail mentality at that point. <laughs> oh, man, that's good. Zombie apocalypse. Cold and guns. Yeah. Texas. <laughs> Love it. Hamdi. It was really good, man. And you know what? Yeah. By the way, we didn't say the date, so it's September 5th. So we got to put it out there. So everything that we're saying, these kind of theories, has a place. And we'll see whatever, however, however it plays out. Happy birthday, Tina. Tina Turner? My sister. Oh. sister. <laughs> Happy birthday, Tina. Wishing you the best. Happy birthday. <laughs> 25. Almost. What is it? Oh, you, fair, never, okay. you never Younger. say, you never say awesome. a lady's I know, but age. I'm saying it's a, it's a nice number. I don't think a lady would be offended by 25 in yeah. any scenario. Unless she's like... 19. Yeah. <laughs> but she's... I know Tina's not 19, so... About 25. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Subscribe like check the channel out thanks guys much love as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.